0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. If you have been following this series, you'd notice that uh, I've been... It's actually not me. It's Leslie has been speckling in some additives uh, into the series. We're usually calling them sort of half messages like point uh, five, like you had message uh, what 2.5 and 3.5 and uh, if you said, why did you do that? Well, it's because I already had mine numbered and then we decided to add Leslie's in as an additive. So it made it a little tricky to change my numbering after I'd already filmed them. So that at least explains it. And it's been really fun having Leslie's pieces added to this. So if you haven't heard those, I would highly encourage it. Uh, But so I'm going through and I'm, I'm building sort of some Uh, raw materials of what makes up the brave Christian life. I think it's something that all of us are in such desperate need of right now in a time period of history where it seems like the moorings are failing, the pillars are falling, the foundations are being rocked. This is the hour we're built for as believers. And this is gonna be a strange one at first because when you talk about being brave, what does mercy have to do with it? And this one is called getting mercy strong. And you know, the last one was strategically clever. And what does being clever or being strategically clever have to do with being brave? And yet it does. They're, they're ingredients that play into something bigger. And when you are ruled by mercy instead of judgment, it is actually very, very important because it... It actually gives you a whole new strength in your arsenal uh, to change in the world. And so it's, let's just walk through that. And I'm going to use one of my favorite illustrations to do this. I'm going to go back to King Alfred and his days. And if any of you listened to my series on uh, spiritual lessons from Alfred the Great last summer, what would that be? Summer 2021, 20, uh, which I would highly encourage you to review. It was a very, very fun series. Uh, then this is going to bring back some memories. It was a fun moment uh, in the series series. And so let's start with James 2 verse 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, we know the scripture, but you need to recognize this is needs to be the statement of your soul, that in your soul, mercy triumphs over judgment. In your perception of how God relates to you, you need to know that mercy triumphs over judgments. When the enemies whisper into you the condemnation, you need to remember that the God you serve, his mercy triumphs Over this judgment, the enemy is trying to whisper against you, but also in the way you approach those that harm you. The way that you approach those that have come against you, it's not eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's actually a mercy that we have been gifted via the Holy Spirit because of the shed blood of Jesus. Grace has now entered into the storyline. It's always been there, but there was a blockage to it. And law was there to prepare us to understand the value of it. And now that Jesus Christ has resurrected, ascended, and poured out his Holy Spirit, We have been given something, and that is the power of grace. Mercy being one of the chief attributes, the chief operations of that grace to actually change the world. And mercy triumphs over judgment. So we're going to go back in time to the late 800s. So the 9th century, uh, it wasn't called England yet. It was called Britannia. And you have this country called Wessex, and it was ruled by King Alfred, and Alfred, it was overtaken by the Vikings. It's a weird thought to think that the Vikings at one point in time controlled all of Great Britain, but they did. And there was one little stronghold left, and that was Alfred, and he was with about 20 of his men in, uh, in a little hideout on a swamp island of Athelney. And he is going to rise up and defy this. It's an incredible story. He's going to rise up and defy Guthrum the Viking. Guthrum would be sort of like the Hitler of our day. He was a very evil man, and he just wanted to devastate, destroy. He hated Christianity. He wanted to completely wipe it off the earth. So we have this really powerful story that was that is sort of being built here. So on the screen, if you're watching the video of this, it's the it says the Extraordinary Battle of Eddington. Lane siege to Chippenham. So Guthrum has made Chippenham, which was Alfred's you know, royal estate, he's made that his royal estate. And now we have this key battle called the Battle of Eddington where, uh, where King Alfred is going to rise up and go on the offensive instead of the defensive. But he has like 20 men against this massive horde. Well, all of the good Wessex uh, nobles are going to hear, catch wind of this and go, we want to fight for Alfred. So everyone's going to come out of their nooks and crannies and shadows and stand up with Alfred to fight against this terrible evil. And that's called the Battle of Eddington. So Dr. Benjamin Merkel, who wrote a great book called The White Horse King, highly recommended, very powerful book, He said this within the walls of Chippenham. Remember, that was Alfred's uh, royal estate. The scene began to look desperate. The Viking strength had been cut to ribbons at the Battle of Eddington. The few surviving warriors who had managed to return from the slaughter were wounded and exhausted. The reserve troops that Guthrum had kept behind at Chippenham were too few to resist the Saxon throng outside the gate. This is an exciting moment. Alfred has somehow turned the tables on the Vikings, and now Guthrum is trapped in Alfred's old royal estate. So the bad guy is in a very bad position. Benjamin Merkel uh, continues, and if the predicament of the Danes, that's the Danish Vikings, was not just, it was not already dire. The Chippenham fortress had just begun to reach the end of its winter stores as the harvest was still many months away and the fortress had not yet been sufficiently supplied to hold out for any length of time. Uh oh, say it isn't so for the bad guys. The bad guys are in a very bad situation here. Winston Churchill weighs in on this situation in history, and he says, Guthrum, king of the Viking army, so lately master of the one unconquered English kingdom, found himself penned in his camp. So Alfred finds himself in a situation that he hasn't felt very often, and that is in the offensive, in a dominant position where the other guy is really uh, at his whim. Whatever Alfred wants, Alfred could get in this situation. and This is a rare uh, moment uh, in Alfred's life, and no one had really experienced this on the English side of the ledger. So let me give you a list of Alfred's creative options. What could he do now that he is penned in Guthrum? Guthrum is begging for mercy. So he could do unto Guthrum as the Vikings had done unto the other Saxon kings. He could make it a spectacle. Guthrum had done horrible, well, the Vikings themselves, not just Guthrum, had done horrible things to the other Viking kings that they had captured. I mean, dedicated to to their god through sacrifice and horrible things, okay? I can't even describe them, they're so bad. And he could do that. He could do it, make a spectacle of this and show that you dare invade our country. This is how you get treated. He could force Guthrum to pay the Dane geld or um, the Sachs geld. See, the Danes would always uh, get a what's called the Dane geld, which is like a tribute payment. OK, all right. We could destroy you or you could pay us all your money. And they would exact a tribute is what it was also called. And so, well, guess what? he could do that too. Alfred could get them to pay him money. That's another option. How about this? Starve him and give him no reprieve. Let him experience the full impact of his sin. Makes sense. However, that's if judgment is going to triumph over mercy. But what if you're Alfred? Did you know that Alfred believed in Jesus? Do you know that Alfred was actually a very serious Christian who was studying the word of God and learning the word of God and wanting to be changed by the word of God? Isn't that a fascinating statement? And as a result, in this situation, he's reasoning through the lens of the Word of God. How would Jesus handle this situation? So it is right here, in this part of the story, that something strange happens in history. The extraordinary decision is what I'm calling it, pursuing Guthrum in a way no one expected. So listen to what Dr. Benjamin Merkel says about this. If Guthrum were to be treated as the Viking kings had previously treated their conquered foes, if this humble Danish king were to receive measure for measure, he would be cruelly executed before the Saxon troop for their evening's entertainment, and all the captured Viking soldiers would be quickly beheaded. Alfred was determined to make his victory clear to the vanquished Dane in terms that the Vikings would understand, but he also wanted to set a new example with this victory. This is an exciting story. So here, Dr. Benjamin Merkel continues, just as Ivar and Halfdan, sons of the evil Ragnar Lothbrak, these are uh, terrible Vikings in the past, had once sacrificed the conquered King Ale to their god in the barbaric blood eagle ceremony, Alfred insisted that Guthrum must likewise be given over to the god of his conquerors. So as the Vikings had given over their captives to their god, Alfred is deciding that he wants to have Guthrum be given over to his god. Well, who's Alfred's god? Jesus Christ. Well, this is an interesting one. I love this story, guys. Dr. Benjamin Merkel says it this way. If Guthrum refused Alfred's terms of surrender, the doom of the Vikings' soldiers was certain and they would never leave Chippenham alive. Rather than the sadistic human sacrifice that Odin required, however, Alfred insisted that Guthrum be handed over to the Christian God by the bloodless ceremony of baptism. The Vikings could go free from Chippenham if Guthrum was was given to the triune God of Christianity through Christian baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That is the most obscure... Uh, thing you could ever imagine. Totally bewildering. Alfred, are you that gullible? You're going to just think that because you baptize him, he's suddenly going to become a good guy? Dr. Benjamin Merkel says it this way. This is what Alfred demanded of Guthrum. Not only was Guthrum required to take Alfred's god as his own, but King Alfred was to stand as Guthrum's new godfather at this christening. Guthrum accepted Alfred's terms immediately and swore to Alfred that he would honor the terms of his treaty offering to Alfred his pick of the surviving danish nobleman for hostages to guarantee this vow. Now, let's be honest. If you knew the story even better than maybe you do right now, you would be like me, a little incredulous and you'd be like, "You can't trust this guy. This guy breaks vows for a living. That's just what he does. He's a specialist in lying." And so you actually believe him that he is going to genuinely uh, give his life to Jesus here? Because that's actually what Guthrum is saying. I will be given over to your God. I will be baptized. I will uh, surrender my life to your God. Yeah, right. Is he actually going to do that? The amazing thing about this story is what you're seeing in Alfred is something very different than what most of us are ready to dish out. You see, the Saxons had been treated with such revolting Viking behavior. It was so evil, so dastardly. And now what you see Alfred doing is the exact opposite back. He He received judgment, but Alfred is dishing out mercy. And there is something about this that is so profound. Alfred is going to change the course of history. England is going to become England because of Alfred the Great. And this whole story is the beginning of something. So let me ask you a question, is it right to give a lying Viking another chance? Because that's sort of the crux of the issue. Why would you give Guthrum any opportunity? Look at what he's done. And yet, if you think about it, if you say no to that question, then what does that mean for your own soul? Because aren't you and I lying Vikings? Aren't we the ones that have stood directly opposed to the kingdom of heaven at one point in time in our life? And yet God showed us mercy You see, part of the Christian life is all based around receiving mercy and then learning how to be a mercy giver. So listen to Dr. Merkel as he describes this. Certainly, Alfred had good reason to be suspicious of oaths taken by Danes. He had already seen the Vikings break countless vows, vows made before the Christian God, vows made to their own gods, even vows made with Viking hostages given as guarantees. None of these had proved sure. How can Alfred think that Guthrum would suddenly begin to respect the vow of Christian baptism? James 2.13, I'm just going to read it again. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So when you use mercy, is it going to win? Is it going to triumph? You see, we know that mercy triumphs over judgment in the sense that it's greater than judgment. But I'd also like you to recognize that mercy triumphs. In other words, judgment isn't what causes you to triumph. If you function with judgment, you'll find that you will not triumph. But mercy triumphs. Now, like I said, that, that could you could say, well, you're misusing the scripture, Eric, because it says mercy triumphs over judgment, which means it's greater than. It, it's like the trump card over judgment. I like that. You're right. That's exactly what it means. But also, judgment does not triumph. It does not win in the end. In other words, if you are wanting to win a soul— You give them mercy. And Alfred wants to win a soul. Genuinely, he cares about Guthrum. Isn't that amazing? Genuinely, Jesus cares about us. So he doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us mercy. Winston Churchill says it this way. This sublime power to rise above the whole force of circumstances, to remain unbiased by the extremes of victory or defeat, to persevere in the teeth of disaster, to greet returning fortune with a cool eye, to have faith in men after repeated betrayals, raises Alfred far above the turmoil of barbaric wars to his pinnacle of deathless glory. Winston Churchill's a big fan of King Alfred. So am I. The way he chose to live his life was totally different than the age and generation in which he lived. It would have been so normal for him to execute publicly Guthrum and all of his men. They deserved it, and yet he didn't do that. He won Guthrum to the gospel. The story of what follows is truly magnificent, which I would encourage you to go through the story the entire thing, spiritual lessons from King Alfred or Alfred the Great, because It is a remarkable story of what happens as a result of this. Is this a genuine conversion? Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what's so amazing about this. This one man's life is going to be transformed. He was Hitler, and he is going to be transformed because of the mercy of a man named Alfred, which we know in history is Alfred the Great. So I'm going to call this the principle of especially them. Here's how it works. The brand of love that God has shed abroad in our hearts has been made available to us, especially for such as these, Guthrums. Those that don't deserve it. These men and women are empty, hurting, lost, and dying. Christ's blood was shed for them. Would we be willing to shed our blood for them as well? Hmm, what a fascinating statement. Oftentimes we've been hurt by these people. That's the last thing we want to do is give them mercy. And yet that's what triumphs. If you desire to win this war, if you desire to change the world in which we live, you need to be a delivery vehicle of heavenly mercy, the extraordinary risk of mercy. Romans 5, 7 through 8, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Talk about a risk. He gave up his life and risked it all, even when we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to get good and cleaned up. He died for us when we were still sinners. Well, are we willing to have the same attitude? There's a lot of uh, different contingents in our culture today that have it in for us as believers. They want us destroyed. They want to make a public spectacle of us. They want to make us the entertainment uh, for their nightly feasts. And yet, when they are backed into a corner, when they find themselves in a situation where they desperately need to be saved and rescued, and they realize the lostness of their soul, are we willing to dish out the mercy? You see, this is what causes us to be different than the world around us. This is what causes us to take on the Christ impact in a world. If you want to be brave, you want to carry this around because it gives you confidence in the triumph of the gospel. Nullifying the power of darkness with the triumph of grace. This is how we do it. Mercy is the ultimate act of bravery. Isn't that a great summation? You see, what is the ultimate act of bravery? It's showing mercy. That means that you have confidence. You are at rest. When you can dish out mercy, you know that you are in a stable place. You are not vengeful. You're not in retaliation mode. You're at rest in the fact that God loved you. He forgave you. And so as a result, because of that sturdy foundation you have of right relationship with the King of Kings, you can give mercy to others. So I've been going through what we're calling the 10 facts that make a believer brave and so each, each time I give a message, the very first message in the series that I gave didn't have one, which is why the numbering might seem a little odd to some of you, but we're building 10 total and they're all promises from God. God promises to, number one, make you inwardly doomproof. Number two, give you a PhD in good news. Number three, enable you to take any hit the enemy can dish out. Number four, make you spiritually unstoppable. Number five, make you above reproach. Number six, put you on the offensive in this battle. Number seven, make you a master strategist. And today's, number eight, build you into an athlete of mercy. Oh, I love it. That's exciting stuff. Well guys, I hope you have a wonderful day and I pray that when you have that guthrum in front of you that you would be ready to take on what the Holy Spirit's assignment is and that you would give out mercy. God's blessings. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this